Hello, and welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. You know, not smoking, obviously the most important thing that you can do in terms of behavior to, to lower your cancer risk. But after that, diet and physical activity, those lifestyle habits associated with them are, is really the second most important thing that you can do to reduce your cancer risk. So the American Cancer Society just updated its guideline on diet and physical activity for cancer prevention. Staying at a healthy weight, staying active throughout your life, following a healthy eating pattern and avoiding or limiting alcohol can greatly reduce your lifetime risk of developing or dying from cancer. And at least 18% of all cancer cases in the US are related to a combination of these factors. So in today's interview, my colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer, spoke with Dr. Laura Makarov. She is Senior Vice President of Prevention and Early Detection here at the American Cancer Society. And she talked about some of these things. She, she talked about the background behind these diet and physical activity guidelines, uh, which were published in CA, a cancer journal for clinicians. She took us through some of the high-level takeaways from these new guidelines, these updated guidelines, and, and shared some resources that can help everybody make uh, the right decisions. Good morning, Laura. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. I am so interested to hear from you because the ACS has recently updated its guideline for diet and physical activity. So I, I'd like to just level set, just help us understand a few things, and then we'll talk a lot about the actual kind of language in the guideline. So why does the ACS publish this guideline? And is there, is there something timely about it? Like, is there something that has changed around cancer prevention guidelines that would make this the time to update this guideline? So just for some background to kind of level set as we start this conversation, um, the ACS has published guidelines on diet and physical activity for cancer prevention since about 1991. And, and the point of these guidelines really is to help advise um, a broad audience to include healthcare professionals, policymakers, and the general public about dietary and other lifestyle factors that can reduce cancer risk. So this guideline really has been in the works for um, quite some time. Guidelines go through, you know, really robust, comprehensive evidence review and sort of scientific process to make sure that we are providing really the, the best, most scientifically sound um, guidance and recommendations on um, the topic of diet and physical activity. So this new update um, provides an update since our last one, which was 2012. The update really includes the totality of the evidence around diet and physical activity and cancer prevention. What a fantastic resource. This, this is going to be really fun and interesting to talk about. Um, is there a particular audience that you have in mind? So who, who do you intend for this to inform? Yeah, you know, um, the audience for um, all of our ACS guidelines um, is really fairly, fairly broad, um, but we want it to be available to um, healthcare professionals. Um, so everybody from primary care staff, primary care physicians and their teams to um, oncology care teams and, and any other healthcare professionals who are talking with patients about um, having healthy lifestyles to help reduce cancer risk. Um, and then also policymakers. So in addition to a lot of information about 
um, things that individuals can do to reduce their cancer risk. There's recommendations in the guideline around community level actions that are needed to help support healthy choices and help everybody have equal access to healthy choices. So this is a really important resource for policymakers when we think about building healthy communities. Um, and then I would say it's also a really important resource um, for the general public, um, for individuals to understand you know, things that um, we can do to modify our cancer risk. So there's certain risk factors that happen um, that really are not modifiable. We can't necessarily change our genetics or um, you know, things like that. But there are things that we would consider modifiable or things we can change. And the food that we eat and the way that we um, stay physically active, um, whether or not we smoke tobacco and whether or not we drink alcohol, those are all things that we would put in the category of modifiable risk factors and things we can do to, um, to make healthier choices, which then reduce our cancer risks. So I think um, the recommendations here are really important for um, really a broad audience. Everybody, like I said, healthcare professionals, policymakers, um, as well as the general public. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think this is a, it's a really incredible and rich resource. Um, and it has the, this guideline proposes recommendations that target health behaviors. And they are not only intended for a broad audience, they are also pretty broad recommendations. So we'll dive down into them a little bit. Um, but the topics largely that the guideline focuses on are around maintaining a healthy body weight, being physically active, consuming a healthful diet, and um, avoiding or limiting alcohol intake. And this is all, as you so elegantly stated, to reduce our cancer risk mm -hmm. around things that we have some control over. Um, so first I'll say <laughs> these are admirable goals to be sure. But I do think there's a space for us to have a conversation around the challenging aspect of these goals. Um, so maybe we'll just go through them. I, I'd love to touch on all four in different ways. So maybe we could start with, let's start with body weight. Um, can you help us understand why body weight is so important when we're thinking about um, reducing our cancer risk? Maybe tell us about the impact of excess body weight on cancer risk. Um, so this is really important, and I think what's also really important to recognize is that it's not really brand new to understand that excess body weight um, and obesity can contribute to a higher risk of um, death from a lot of different diseases, including cancer, but also coronary heart disease and diabetes. Um, and really since, I think it was like 1971, um, the research that was based on the very first ACS cancer prevention study helped provide um, the robust epidemiologic evidence that we needed to really prove this point that excess body weight does contribute um, to all of those diseases, including cancer. Um, since that time, so that's been, you know, I guess almost 50 years now, the association of excess body weight and many specific types of cancer have really been firmly established. And so excess body weight can contribute to a lot of different types of cancer, including um, female breast cancer, especially after menopause, um, endometrial or uterine cancer, kidney cancer, esophageal cancer, colon and rectal cancers, gallbladder cancer, pancreatic cancer, and then also cancers of the ovaries, thyroid, um, and also um, multiple myeloma, which is sort of a type of blood cancer. So really, that's that maybe is even even an exhaustive list, but that um, really I think proves the point that excess body weight 
is, is a factor in a lot of different kinds of cancers. So the question may be like, well, why, what is it? And I think that that's um, an interesting question and one that scientists around the world really continue to study. I mean, we don't know everything about it, but what we do know is that excess body weight can contribute to cancers through a, a variety of pathways um, and several kind of carcinogenic pathways within our bodies, which include pathways of inflammation, of oxidative stress on the cells, the way that our cells um, grow and proliferate, um, the inhibition of how our cells die and turn over. So if the cells don't die and turn over, um, that can contribute to um, a carcinogenic pathway, which is related to excess body weights. Um, and then the way that cancers can grow. So excess body weight contributes to a lot of different pathways that could be um, contributing to the cancer. And then we also are really seeing more and more research showing that the importance of the gut microbiome and how um, the gut microbiome really plays a role in all of these pathways as well. Um, and that excess body weight contributes to um, a healthy or unhealthy um, gut microbiome as well. So I think there's like a, a bunch of different things to think about um, and really understand the importance of why maintaining a healthy body weight is important and how um, excess body weight and obesity contributes to so many different kinds of cancers. That's really interesting. So I, I, I appreciate the long list, although as you indicated, probably not exhaustive, of cancers that have been linked to excess body weight. And I also appreciate the fact that you you said, and we're still trying to figure out why, right? The, the science behind why there is such a strong uh, link between excess body weight and cancer. But I think it boils down to, you indicated that there are um, carcinogenic pathways that are involved. And for those of us who don't, don't think about that all the time, we can think about uh, your summary that it seems that excess body weight contributes to the ability of cancer cells to grow um, mm -hmm. and then where the juices proliferate. So that's not great. So I think we can accept that excess body weight has a negative impact on our cancer risk and risk of mortality. And then we're trying to still figure out why. One thing that I think the guideline specific, specifically highlights around body weight that I think is so interesting is a very specific call out of how important it is to prevent weight gain as we age. So help us to understand that. And I guess I have a question about if you if you are maintaining what what might be considered either a healthy weight or a heavier weight, but you are able to not prevent weight gain, does that is that better than being slender and as a young person and then having um, a, a lot of weight gain as a as you age and as an adult, uh, and maybe just help us to understand those kind of factors. Yeah, those are great questions, Susanna. Um, and I think what I, you know, some of those are harder questions to answer. So the questions about, you know, what what exactly is it is it is it worse if we're gaining a lot of weight in adulthood um, versus like maintaining maybe a heavier weight from like young adulthood through adulthood. I don't, I, I'm not sure that the science knows those answers yet, but what we, what we do know is that maintaining a healthy weight throughout life is so important. And I think it's important to recognize that being underweight is also unhealthy. Um, but in this case, we're really speaking about excess body weight or being overweight. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. Most Americans are no longer using tobacco, which is great. So reducing tobacco use is one of the biggest things we can do to reduce cancer risk. But for most Americans who don't use tobacco, 
the most important cancer risk factors that we can change, like I just spoke to about our modifiable risk factors. So things that we can change are our body weight, diet, and physical activity. Um, and we know that about 18% of all cancers diagnosed in the U.S. are related to excess body weights, physical inactivity, poor nutrition, and or alcohol consumption. So it's a big number. Um, and then we also know that the obesity epidemic in the U.S. is really well recognized and that nearly 40% of American adults um, have obesity and that the rates of obesity really vary among different racial and ethnic groups with non-Hispanic Blacks being disproportionately impacted um, with obesity about at like 47% versus about 38% for non-Hispanic whites. Um, so it's really, these are really big numbers when we think about um, the impact of obesity and excess body weight on the American population overall. So the question of like, why is it so important to um, maintain a healthy body weight throughout adulthood kind of goes back to what we were just talking about is that excess body weight contributes to so many different carcinogenic pathways. And so if we are like up up and down a lot, like, you know, this sort of historic like, yo-yo dieting we've, we've maybe all experienced or seen or heard about where you may gain a lot of weight and then lose a lot of weight like that, those time periods when you're gaining a lot of weight just are contributing to all of those carcinogenic pathways within our body, like the inflammation and the oxidative stress in the cells and the way the cells grow and turn over, all of that just appears that that all of that really plays into um, increasing the risk of cancer so dramatically um, when it relates to excess body weight. I'd really like to talk about physical activity because when we think specifically about how might we maintain a healthy weight throughout our life, physical activity is is quite key to that. And in the guideline, the ACS supports this notion, which I really like, um, move more and sit less. So help us understand, why is physical activity such a powerful tool if, if we're thinking about a cancer prevention strategy? It's so important. So, um, and it is one of those things that we can do something about in a lot of ways. And, and I'll just emphasize again here that in addition to our individual choice, which I'm going to talk about, like how, how we can make some changes in our life and incorporate more physical activity and do the move more and sit less part of life. But I also want to just recognize that in addition to our individual choices, we also want to support community actions that that provide the right environments, that provide, you know, um, safe places to walk and that there's walking, the roads are safe to walk on and there or there's trails in the neighborhoods or it's just safe in general to be out in your neighborhood or if that's not an option, that there's other options for staying active um, and helping people engage in physical activity. So I think that's really um, an important part of this as well. Um, but getting back to the recommendations about why move more and sit less is so important is that this guideline um, really um, does have a change in the amount of physical activity that's recommended. So this update, um, based on the scientific evidence like we talked about, says that adults should engage in at least 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity um, aerobic activity every week. Um, so 300 minutes a week really, you know, comes down to about, you know, if you think about like an hour, five days a week. Um, so that maybe is more than a lot of us um, are doing every day. But the important thing is to recognize that the role of physical activity in cancer prevention is supported by um, really accumulating um, scientific evidence. So in addition to the role that physical activity has, when we think about maintaining a healthy body weight, there's certainly a role there. But we also are learning and see in the science that physical activity by itself has been shown to affect 
a few different um, functions in our bodies, including effects on our insulin and glucose metabolism, the way our immune system works and our immune function, inflammation again, um, different sex hormones, and also the things that we talked about with the cells, like oxidative stress and just our overall genomic um, stability or instability. And the physical activity has been shown to impact all of those functions. Um, and, you know, to kind of boil it down to like, well, what does that mean? How does that, how does, how does like physical activity impacting sex hormones matter? Well, if we think about this, that um, we've seen in the science that physical activity has been associated with lower sex hormones in postmenopausal women, which is par partially can help us explain why there's an association between physical activity and a lower risk of postmenopausal breast cancer. So it's really an important tool um, and something that we can incorporate into our um, daily lives and, and do that in kind of some accessible ways. It's fascinating how you, you point out that not only is there the fairly direct relationship between how much we move and body weight, but also all of these other things that maybe aren't top of mind, but are really driving the ability of cancer cells to divide. So I appreciate that you mentioned, you know, how our immune systems function, how much inflammation we have, our levels mm -hmm. of stress and stress hormones. I mean, it's fascinating. So it's like you get all these other ancillary benefits that are really crucial. And, and, and there's not just one thing that we need to keep an eye on when we think about our overall health. Um, so adding on, so we've talked about body weight and we've talked about physical activity a little bit. Um, I, I want to move into how we eat. And, um, and the ACS, this specific guideline recommends a healthy eating pattern, which I think can be very accessible, but I want to make sure we understand exactly what that means. Are there some unique features that we should be aiming for in our diet? Um, maybe what does that mean, a healthy eating pattern? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I appreciate sort of the, the, the recognition that this isn't just about like one like magic bullet, um, that this really is about like a healthy lifestyle, which would include what we talked about, physical activity, moving more, sitting less, um, and then the food and the way we eat. So this um, updated guideline really does emphasize this healthy eating pattern um, for a couple of reasons. Um, most importantly, probably, is the recognition that, well, certain nutrients certainly have been shown to have an impact on different parts of cancer prevention. People eat food and not nutrients. So when we think about the ways that we eat, we really want to um, be eating a healthy food pattern and not just thinking about individual nutrients. And it really makes it a lot more simple. Um, so a healthy eating pattern would include foods that are high in nutrients um, in, and in amounts that help us achieve and maintain a healthy body weight. Um, and that would include a variety of vegetables, lots of different colors of vegetables, like dark green vegetables, red and orange. You know, maybe thinking about like eating, eating a rainbow of foods that just helps us get um, all of the different um, nutrients um, that our body needs. And then incorporating fiber-rich legumes like beans and peas, um, fresh fruits or other whole fruits, um, again, with a variety of colors and whole grains. And then the other thing to mention on what a healthy eating pattern, so those are all the things that a healthy eating pattern includes, but let's also talk about what a healthy eating pattern limits or does not include. So limiting or, or not including red and processed meats and then also, importantly, recognizing that a 
also limiting um, or excluding completely sugar sweetened beverages and other highly processed foods and refined grain products that really can be you know, so easily accessible, but just really aren't giving us the good nutrients um, that our body needs that makes up a healthy eating pattern. So as I sit at home, as um, lots of people right now are at home where we have access in different ways to food and to our kitchens, um, I think it, this is a, a good time to recognize challenges around healthy eating patterns and how best to kind of deal with the, the psychology of this. So I guess one way to ask it would be you recommended or the, the recommendations are that we would try to either limit or maybe even eliminate completely sugars and, and things that perhaps fall into those unhealthy spaces. But if one wanted to eat a cookie or we have a snicker bar at night, does that undo a day of really healthy eating to where we should just feel kind of like, oh, rats? Or can we give some space for understanding the, the human side of human nature as we work towards these goals? And I guess, I mean, it's the same question for all of these categories, right? If we have a, a day where we don't exercise more and then another day where we do, kind of how can you help us reconcile? How do we move towards healthy behaviors and not feel so um, kind of destroyed by smaller setbacks, especially in the space that we're in now? Yeah, this is a, those are really it's really important points, um, and and really, I think a great a great place to have some conversation on. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. That um, yeah, these are the recommendations in this updated guideline can feel could feel overwhelming if you look at it a certain way. I think the important thing and the way to kind of you know unpack it a little bit for like our daily lives is to recognize that it really is about an overall healthy lifestyle pattern, meaning like, you know, like a Snickers bar here and there isn't, isn't probably gonna, you know, isn't the end all. We wanna look at like, how do we make that the exception and not the rule? And unfortunately, I think for um, just the way that life can be sometimes, that those sort of small setbacks can become more of the norm instead of the um, exception. And so that's where I would, you know, really encourage people to, to think about how to incorporate um, a healthy lifestyle overall, and then and then uh, you are able to exercise. It's not the end of the world, and you just want to get up and actually, you know, get some activity the next day. Um, and then really thinking about how we incorporate um, healthy eating pattern into our everyday life, so that it's it is accessible and it becomes more of the norm. Um, and then especially, you know, we actually have like this really unique opportunity right now. You know, certainly a, a major challenge as we see the COVID pandemic all around us, um, but we are at home more and it's such an opportunity to um, try some new things or learn new recipes or incorporate more cooking into your family life. Um, and it can be really fun and really get us back to honestly some of the things that, you know, historically have been a part of our American culture and maybe we've gotten away from with so much um, fast food and convenience foods, but being able to get back to, you know, really eating um, the food that we know is so good for our bodies and helps reduce our risk of cancer as well as other diseases is actually like such a really beautiful opportunity. Um, and there's lots of great resources um, and ideas available, um, like, you know, on our own website, cancer.org or lots of different places. And we can talk about some of those um, a little later too. 
last question kind of on the specificities of the guideline, which is around alcohol consumption. So the guideline recommends um, either avoiding or limiting alcohol intake. Can you help us understand why that's so important to, to not consume alcohol? Yeah, sure. Another another great question, um, and and also an important point um, as we think about the um, COVID pandemic and alcohol consumption. So the current scientific evidence really shows that drinking even a small of alcohol, a small amount of alcohol daily, um, can increase your cancer risk. Um, so the recommendation here is really based on, like I said, this you know thorough scientific review and systematic review of all of the available evidence. Um, and it's really aligned with other major cancer organizations around the globe to recommend avoiding alcohol consumption to reduce their cancer risk. Um, and at the same time, though, we recognize that some people will choose to consume alcohol. So if you do choose to consume alcohol, we recommend limiting the consumption to no more than one drink per day for women um, and no more than two drinks per day for men. So Laura, one of the things that I think you you touched on early on is that a lot of this is under our control, um, but a lot of it is also not, or at least our ability to make good decisions about our health is influenced by lots of different factors. Um, and early on, you mentioned that there are certainly challenges and barriers towards us making these really great decisions all the time. So. We don't have time to go in depth for a lot of them, but I'd love to know because you're said you you are a leading expert in this space. So if you could eliminate for everybody just one obstacle toward our engaging in healthy behaviors, what would you eliminate? Yeah, I love that question, Susanna, and um, I love to be able to dream big and and think about this because I you know I see the impact that these barriers have on on so many people and whole communities and our whole population. So if I had to, just one thing, which is hard, I think there's, I have probably a, a, a decently long list of things I'd like to eliminate. But if I think about really one thing, one obstacle that I'd love to see eliminated to help support people in their healthy lifestyles, it'd really be about um, access to healthy food. So, you know, we all eat, our bodies are just designed to need food as fuel and, and nutrition. And it does a lot of good things for our body, the food that we put into our body. But we, it just is a challenge for so many people to have access to healthy food, whether that's just because of socioeconomic challenges and um, poverty or living in places where there just aren't grocery stores nearby or they're not easily accessible or the stores that are accessible just don't have um, fresh food available. Um, so I'd love to see our whole food system be revamped and really get back to the basics and be able to help people um, make good choices as the default and not have to fight so hard to make good choices amidst all the other um, less good choices that are around us. So I think that would be the, the one thing I'd um, would be made my dream of seeing um, happen is that we all have access, um, easy access to healthy food to fuel our bodies and help reduce our risk of cancer. Mm, I love that answer. And um, I very much appreciate your thoughtfulness and like that we're both part of an organization that is helping us to and helping communities work around these obstacles, which leads me to the fact that I, I wanted to at least ask your opinion on the resources that the American Cancer Society provides. 
um, because I think the ACS does provide some great resources to help us make better decisions about our health behaviors. Are there ACS resources that are kind of favorites of yours that you might direct us to as we try to engage in um, better decision making? There are, you know, there really are so many good ones. Um, within our own website at cancer.org, we have a whole section called Stay Healthy, and you can see it right from the, the homepage when you first go to cancer.org um, on the upper top ribbon of the website. And within that section, there's so many good resources there. So everything from, you know, for people who are maybe just getting started with healthy eating, there's some great um, resources about like how to make a shopping list and how to build a healthy kitchen, like just some basic ingredients that are contribute to having um, different ingredients available for recipes. There's also tips there on how to incorporate more fruits and vegetables into your daily eating habits, like simple things like how you fill your plate, you know, making sure your plate is filled up at least halfway with fruits and vegetables um, can be one way to make sure you're incorporating more fruits and vegetables into your diet or a simple thing like adding extra vegetables to your favorite pasta dish um, or shopping at your local farmer, farmer's market. Those are all um, great tips and, and lots of information about those kinds of things um, within that stay healthy section of cancer.org. Um, and then there's other parts of um, for other people who may be looking for some new inspiration. Maybe they've been at this for some time and been working on healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle for quite some time and just looking for some new inspiration, which I think we all need, um, and some different recipes. So there's a recipe section on the website or um, our own ACS cookbooks, which are available um, to order through the website too. And then there's also some great things about being physically active and ways to think about how to manage um, your exercise and physical activity, like calculating your target heart rate to get the most out of your active time. So I think all of those things are, are such great places to look and start with uh, to help, you know, kind of go a little deeper than what we've talked about here today, but then also give some really practical ideas about uh, ways to make some changes in your own life. I have just one more question, and that's that many of our listeners um, are very much in the cancer space. They are cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. Is there a message um, you'd like specifically to share with this group? Yeah, um, no, I appreciate that. I mean, a couple a couple things. I think one is, you know, for the group of people who are, you know, either actively fighting cancer or survivors or are caring for somebody um, who's um, in their cancer journey, I think the important thing um, and the important takeaway I'd like to maybe just emphasize here is that this is really about, um, like we've talked about, a healthy lifestyle, following a healthy eating pattern, staying physically active throughout the week, moving more and sitting less. Um, and really, you know, making an effort every day to make healthy choices. Um, and that goes for um, for everybody. And that includes people, you know, if you're a caregiver, you want to make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you're available for your um, loved one who's actively in their cancer journey. Um, or for people who are actively, you know, going through cancer treatments. Um, these these tips and the recommendations here really can make a difference Um for your experience with your cancer journey, um, as well as your overall cancer prevention. Um, so I think it's just, um, you know, just important to continue to point back to what we know um, and what the science says and what the recommendations are, and then also recognizing that we're constantly learning so much um, and that this is an evolving space and we'll continue to learn um, as we go. Um, but um, just encourage people to Take advantage of the resources we've talked about, um, take a look at the guidelines and the recommendations, 
Um, and then certainly talk to your healthcare team about any personal things that you may be facing. Um, getting help from a patient navigator or a health coach can be really beneficial and important. Leaning on your friends and family and really making healthy choices a part of um, your life together. Well, thank you, Laura, for talking to us today. And, and certainly a huge thanks to you and your team for this outstanding guideline. Uh, we'll provide the link in the podcast feed so that folks can go and, and use it. And um, we'll all try to be healthier together. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be with you today.